Welcome to my mommy's podcast. This episode is sponsored by Juve Red Light. You guys know how seriously I take my health routine, and red light has been a non-negotiable part of that routine for years. I'm sure you've heard me talk about Juve before. It's spelled J-O-O-V-V, and I use it to support healthy cellular function, which is the foundation of health. Having healthy cellular function gives me peace of mind that my body is working efficiently and has the energy it needs to go throughout the day. There are also many clinically proven benefits to red light therapy, and I've personally experienced changes in my skin and hair, and I support my thyroid through red light. I love that Juve's modular design allows for a variety of setup options that gives you flexibility. Plus, the treatments are super easy and can be done in as little as 10 minutes. So all I have to do is relax and let my body take in the light. Juve offers several different size options, including a wireless handheld device called the Juve Go. That's great for targeting specific areas around your body, like sore joints or sore muscles. You can check out all of Juve's products today. And while you're there, Juve is offering my listeners an exclusive discount on their first order. Just go to juve.com slash wellnessmama and apply my code wellnessmama to your order. Again, that's J-O-O-V-V dot com slash wellnessmama to pick up a juve today and use the code wellnessmama to save. This is the first in a series of short solo episodes that will air in addition to the two regular episodes each week. These episodes will only be 15 to 20 minutes long and will cover my understanding of the research and key points mentioned by podcast guests in the last 600 plus episodes. These are in response to a quest of how to make these topics directly actionable without having to listen to dozens of episodes or delve into the research. I would like to emphasize that these short episodes share my own understanding and experience with each of these topics, along with my own key takeaways and summaries, my Feynman summary, if you will. These, like all episodes, are for educational purposes only and should not be considered medical or health advice. Like always, these are a starting point for your own research and experimentation, and I encourage you to always do your own research, to consult with your doctor or practitioners, and to become your own primary healthcare provider through your own daily choices. Always question everything, including and especially me, and stay curious. This first episode is about something I have talked about hundreds of times over the last 15 years, which is magnesium. And I think this is a really important topic to dive into and summarize because I've heard from so many of you who have had very life-changing results by optimizing magnesium status. And we know that many, many people are deficient. So I wanted to delve into what the research actually says and how to get the most benefit as well as my personal experience and what's worked for me. So to start off, what is magnesium? It is a mineral that is crucial to the brain and the body in many ways. And as I said, statistically, most of us are not getting enough. Magnesium is present in every cell in the body, and the majority of it is found in bone, about 60%, while the rest is found in other tissue within the body. Magnesium is also the eighth most abundant mineral on earth, the third most abundant in seawater, and more importantly, it is the fourth most abundant mineral in the human body. This is one of the few things I take very regularly and consider a non-negotiable. You've probably heard me mention that I cycle most supplements that I take, and magnesium is one that I take relatively consistently and don't cycle off very often. So why is magnesium important? As I said, magnesium is found in every cell in the body. It's also responsible for, we now know, over 600 biochemical reactions in the body, according to the latest research I've seen. And it impacts everything from blood pressure to metabolism to immune function to bone density, to blood sugar, and many other aspects of health, which I will go into a little bit more in depth in a minute. 
Some experts claim that magnesium deficiency is the single largest health problem in our world today. And podcast guest Chris Kresser mentioned this is one that he thinks the majority of people can very much benefit from supplementing. Specifically, magnesium is important because it is used in the body in the process of creating energy from the food we eat, in using amino acids in the body and creating new proteins, in protecting and repairing DNA and RNA, in muscle function, like movement and recovery, also muscle contraction, which is important for exercise and movement. And magnesium is also involved in regulating neurotransmitters, which send messages throughout your brain and your nervous system. And more on this in a minute, but those are just some of the many, many reasons why magnesium is so vital for the body. Magnesium helps muscles use fuel, and it may also remove lactate, which is one of the reasons it's often cited as helping with recovery. But other research is now showing that magnesium is important for literally hundreds of other reasons, and I will just summarize some of the more important ones I've found in the research here. But for one, giving rigidity and flexibility to your bones. We often hear about calcium and its importance for bones, but it turns out magnesium may actually be even more important, especially as we age, because we need both strength and flexibility to avoid things like fractures. It works with calcium and increases the bioavailability of calcium. So people who are taking calcium for bone health will actually typically benefit and see better results from adding magnesium as well. There is some evidence linking it to normal blood pressure because of the way it interacts in the body there. There are some inverse links with kidney stones, which um, I haven't had kidney stones, but I have had kidney pain and it's very uncomfortable. And there's some evidence that keeping our magnesium status in a good range can help minimize the risk of kidney stone formation. Perhaps most cited online, at least, is the link between magnesium and restful sleep. Other studies show that adequate magnesium consumption can help avoid some of the things linked to congestive heart failure, uh, especially there are some studies linking this when taken with vitamin K27, which I've also talked about quite a bit on here. I take that relatively consistently as well. Because of the muscle recovery aspect, it can often help ease muscle cramps and spasms, including things like PMS and menstrual cramps. Though it's not entirely well understood, it is thought to lower serum cholesterol levels and triglycerides. To decrease insulin resistance, there is some link, inverse link between optimal magnesium levels and atherosclerosis and stroke. There are quite a few studies looking at the link between adequate magnesium status and reduced chance of migraine headaches. When combined with K27, it also seems to enhance circulation and proper blood movement within the body. And then it's been studied and linked to a lot of very specific conditions as well that I won't have time to fully cover in this episode, but there are thousands and thousands of studies looking at magnesium. It also is involved in, like I said, glucose and insulin regulation and the proper digestion of carbohydrates. And there are many benefits for this reason to keeping magnesium in optimal ranges. And unfortunately, there don't seem to be very consistent good tests on that show magnesium levels in the body, but I will talk about this more in a minute, but it is generally regarded as a safe supplement to take. And so I have kind of taken an experimental approach to optimizing my levels based on how my body's feeling. But some of the reasons I am so careful to make sure that I am getting enough magnesium. Several studies showed that when magnesium intake is optimal, people had better exercise output and power as well as faster recovery. And a smaller study showed that women with optimal magnesium levels might have 
more lean muscle mass. Research consistently shows a link between adequate magnesium and mood, and those with lower magnesium levels seem to be at higher risk for depressive symptoms, according to some studies, and several studies have also shown a lessening of symptoms of anxiety and depression with magnesium supplementation, though I would say more studies are needed there. However, if I was experiencing any of those symptoms, I would personally supplement with magnesium to see if that would be helpful. The link doesn't seem to be entirely understood yet, but there does seem to be an inverse relationship between magnesium status and inflammation in the body. In other words, the better the range of magnesium levels in the body, the less inflammation overall. And several studies showed higher CRP, which is C-reactive protein, in people with low magnesium levels. And other studies showed that magnesium supplementation could help reduce markers like CRP and interleukin-6, which are inflammatory markers in the body. This could be some of the reason that magnesium seems helpful for those who experience migraines, menstrual cramps, and muscle cramps. Other studies show that magnesium is linked to bone health and that those with higher magnesium status had lower risk of fractures and had higher bone density, which is something I'm aware of as I get older. And additionally, studies seem to link good magnesium levels to better blood sugar and insulin levels, and some studies speculate that it might reduce the risk of type 2 diabetes. But perhaps one of the most well-cited benefits of magnesium is the link to better sleep. As I mentioned, magnesium regulates some of the neurotransmitters involved in sleep, including gamma amniobutyric acid. And some studies consistently show the link between good magnesium status and better sleep quality and duration. So people who are struggling with any kind of sleep issues with falling asleep, staying asleep, or quality of sleep... This is an easy and inexpensive kind of first thing to try. And of course, if you have severe sleep issues, you definitely want to work with a doctor to really dial those in and figure out what might might be going on. But in general, this link is very well studied and consistent between magnesium and better sleep. Magnesium is naturally found in leafy greens and some seeds and beans, though as many guests have stated on this podcast, most people don't get anywhere near enough from food. And even if we were really careful and trying to get enough from food, it would actually be difficult in today's world to eat enough volume of food to get into the optimal range of magnesium, partially because our soil and our food supply is lower in magnesium than it was even just a few decades ago. And of course, magnesium can also be found in supplements, which I will talk more about in a minute. There are various forms to consider and they impact the body a little bit differently. So I actually take a range of forms to make sure I'm covering all the bases there. But from my understanding, and even from when Chris Kresser was last on this podcast, he mentioned that this is one that seems almost impossible now to get entirely from food because of the food supply. Which brings me to why are so many people deficient in magnesium? So I mentioned at the beginning that the majority estimates range across the board, but sources seem to agree that the majority of people are likely at least mildly deficient in magnesium. And there are many potential reasons that this is so widespread in modern times, even though that wasn't necessarily true in the past. One of them is that depleted soil conditions mean that plants and meat from animals that feed on these plants are lower in magnesium than they used to be. Also, the use of chemicals like fluoride and chlorine in the water supply make magnesium less available in the water since these chemicals combine to magnesium and In theory, the same thing could be happening in the body. When we are exposed to these chemicals, it can reduce our ability to effectively use magnesium. Also, common substances that many of us consume daily, like caffeine and sugar, also deplete the body's magnesium levels. 
So does stress. And so do even beneficial things like exercise. So in other words, the very lucky but small percentage of the population that lives near the ocean, which is a good source of magnesium, and eats food grown in magnesium-rich soil, drinks magnesium-rich water, doesn't suffer from stress or consume sugar or caffeine or fluoride or chlorine might be okay. But the evidence suggests that the rest of us might need some additional magnesium, which as I mentioned is a relatively inexpensive and easy to supplement mineral that can have a big payoff for the body. So as a summary, what I personally do, this is something I have been experimenting with, testing and researching for well over a decade. And I have finally dialed in my own body's response. But this is why I'm always so adamant to really experiment and find what works for you. Because I have learned through experimentation that I seem to be an inverse modulator when it comes to magnesium. So while for most people, magnesium can be relaxing and help them sleep, I find it actually keeps me awake. So I take magnesium in the morning. However, most people seem to benefit from taking it at night. And a note on forms. There are many different forms of magnesium, and I actually prefer a varied approach to really cover the bases and make sure I'm getting all the different forms. So I take various oral forms and supplemental oral form. And then I also use topical magnesium, like a magnesium lotion or a magnesium oil, which is actually just magnesium dissolved in water. And this is the same thing I do with my kids, sort of titrated and varied based on their age and their body weight. But I do feel like dosing is very individualized and and varied. I've experimented myself and found a range that works for me. Uh, I take typically mag SRT, which has some B vitamins in one of their formulations and one without. And I also take magnesium breakthrough, which is a broad spectrum magnesium. I will link to both of those in the show notes. They're also on wellnessmama.com. And then I also often use a transdermal magnesium lotion as well. I personally aim for at least 500 milligrams a day. Sometimes I take actually much more than that. The technical recommended daily allowance or RDA is slightly lower, but many sources agree that we perhaps need more than just the RDA. And Dr. Mark Hyman of the Cleveland Clinic recommends up to 1,000 milligrams a day for adults and four to 500 milligrams a day for kids. For kids, you can get this amount using their transdermal magnesium spray each night before bed and or through oral supplements, which my older kids now take as well. Um, but like I said, I think that taking a varied a range of different types of magnesium has given me the best results personally. And I would consider experimenting with that if you think it could be beneficial for you. In general, magnesium is considered safe to take in recommended doses. And as I said, it's inexpensive and widely available. And because it is used in so many different reactions throughout the body, I think this is one that is definitely worth experimenting with, especially if you have any of those symptoms that I mentioned magnesium deficiency is linked with. There are food sources as well. Like I mentioned, leafy green vegetables, sea vegetables, kelp, and nettle are good dietary sources of magnesium, as well as some beans and seeds to a smaller degree. Though if a person has a deficiency, it can be really difficult to raise levels through diet alone. And of course, mitigating factors like leaky gut or gut issues can further reduce that ability. There's also evidence that over half of all magnesium taken internally may not be used and it leaves the body as waste. So that's one of the reasons I take the time release formula, that mag SRT, so that the body has more time to absorb the the magnesium. And there's some evidence that when it's combined with B vitamins, it is more absorbable. And as I said, both of those, or all of those, including the transdermal one, will be linked 
in the show notes at wellnessmama.fm so you can find them in one place. But magnesium is also widely available. Just do your research on the different forms and which ones might be specifically beneficial for different uh, reasons you might be taking magnesium. And then I always like to experiment with small doses and work up to find the optimal dose. And I try when experimenting to only change one variable at a time. So in other words, not to start taking 10 new supplements at one time, but take one at a time and gauge the body's response. Because at the end of the day, it is going to be a very individualized response. However, across the board in general, people do seem to see sleep improvements and potentially exercise and recovery improvements, as well as mood and inflammation improvements with working on optimizing magnesium levels. And as I mentioned, this is the first in a series of short mini episodes. If there's a topic you would specifically like me to cover in a future mini episode, please let me know. Either reach out to me on Instagram or in the comments on wellnessmama.fm for the show notes of this podcast. And you can find the magnesium that I use as well as discount codes at wellnessmama.fm. If you're enjoying these interviews, would you please take two minutes to leave a rating or review on iTunes for me? Doing this helps more people to find the podcast, which means even more moms and families can benefit from the information. I really appreciate your time and thanks as always for listening.